We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 401 of the Winning Six Podcast, proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. Happy New Year to everyone, first of all. You can wait, Jordan. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. 2024, a crazy year when you say it like that. Like when you just say it as what it is, uh, I really kind of started writing about the books, doing anything books ready in 2014. So to have a full 10 mm-hmm. on top of that year of like me doing book stuff, that feels insane. We're, we're a year and oh, we're about 18 months out from the podcast being 10 years old which is a crazy, crazy thing. But yeah, 2024 is here. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope it is good to you. Uh, let's hope it will be good to to win in six and GSPN too. Huzzah! That was very... I don't know why I did that. <laughs> it's the year of the deer. It's actually the year of the wood dragon, but we'll convert it to... Wood dragon? Deer. I mean, that could be a deer for someone who's never seen a deer before. I think that's why Goran Dragic, speaking of former former boxes, retiring. 
I like Wood Dragon. It's very evocative. I don't know if it, makes it any is. Sense, There's something. I was like, it's... what? I don't know what it is. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, I don't want to say that's enough about the Wood Dragon because I don't know. We may get back to the Wood Dragon as the year goes on. It is, in fact, you know, the Wood Dragon's year, so it might be rude of us not to. Um, but we we are here to talk about some sadder affairs. I mean, some some big books news in a bigger picture sense. I guess it's kind of fitting in some ways. This is the first true win in six since we we celebrate our 400 episode and we did a, a kind of wider look at the history of the books. And over the holidays, just after Christmas, December 27th, uh, if memory serves me right, it does. Herb Cole sadly passed away. 88 years old. The man lived a life. He lived a great life. Um, truly the kind of figure that you can write books about, people can make movies of, sprawling from his time in business, his time in politics, his time in sports. And while the books may follow, not the team, B, double OKS, while the movies may someday be made, uh, we're going to pay our own tribute to Herb Cole and kind of talk about him today, talk about what is a fascinating legacy because it's always been split in kind of two ways. One, the undeniable good he did in continuing, you know, the existence of the franchise in Milwaukee. And then two, the kind of astonishing floundering that the team often did on the court under his ownership. And it makes him an interesting figure to talk about. And it makes someone that, I think over the history of this podcast, having started really fresh off the back of his departure from the organization, we've had to kind of reckon with it. It's always been the the recent history, the specter. And I think we've talked about the challenges of that basketball era. And in many ways, the current books and their ascension for so long, that's what was the the yardstick, the measuring stick for them until they reached a level where it became okay to compare them to the books of the 80s or the books of the 70s because it was excellence that all of a sudden was the measure. But with that, we've had many great conversations about Herb Cole over the years, and I hope we're going to have one more on this episode today. Before we do that, before we get into something a little bit more free-flowing, we want to do something that was something we first did um, when we decided to honor Larry Costello ahead of him going into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. And that is to put together an audio essay of sorts. So we'll talk about, I guess, a lot of the ideas that come up in here and try to reckon with Herb Cole and the totality of who he is within the history of the books. But first, we tried to put that together with something of a timeline, with some anecdotes, some details. So sit back, listen, and hopefully enjoy. Herb Cole was desperate to win in Milwaukee from the start. In fact, Cole was so desperate to win that he opted against owning the franchise that would come to be known as the Milwaukee Bucks. If you're confused right now, that's understandable. Of course, Cole was the owner of the Bucks for almost 30 years. But it could have been even longer than that. 
With Milwaukee deprived of professional teams since the departure of the Hawks and Braves, there were few individuals more determined to rectify that than Cole. Prior to the beginnings of a story life in politics, Cole was a stock market wizard and heir to a retail empire. He could frequently be found courtside at Marquette games. He was friends with Wisconsin sporting legends like Al McGuire and Bud Selig. And he wanted in on the action. With the American Basketball Association eyeing up potential locations ahead of its launch in 1967, Herb Cole put a group together in a bid to bring a franchise to Milwaukee. At the time, the ABA was viewed as something of a golden ticket. The NBA was still in its infancy compared to the country's other three major sporting leagues, and the feeling among many of the founding members of the ABA was that if they could cultivate any kind of meaningful success, a merger with the NBA would be inevitable. Unfortunately for Cole, the ABA came along just a little too soon. Unable to get his plans in place in time to meet the league's deadlines, Milwaukee would not take its place in the upstart organization. There'd always be next time, though, and Cole would be better prepared. As the NBA explored its own expansion options, there was suddenly an even better opportunity on the horizon. While those in the ABA could only hope their circuitous route to the NBA would be realized, two cities would get to take the direct route. The unlikely pairing of Marvin Fishman and Wesley Pavillon believed they would be the men to bring an NBA team to Milwaukee. And they were ultimately proven to be right. But in spite of a long-running, open, and productive dialogue with then-NBA Commissioner Walter Kennedy, their bid for a franchise was almost derailed by a mystery rival. It wasn't until the December 16, 1967 edition of the Milwaukee Sentinel landed on Fishman's doorstep that it became clear who they were up against. To quote Fishman, I couldn't believe it. Not Herbie Cole. I was about to be flattened by a steamroller. Cole was seen as so formidable, both financially and locally, that Fishman never even considered bidding against him. If Cole needed another investor, Fishman would join him, but he would not stand in his way, nor would he drive up the price in a bidding war. And so, the path was clear for Cole to own his team. For Milwaukee to be a big league town once again, and for Cole to be its driving engine. And yet, when the franchise was awarded to Milwaukee, on January 22nd, 1968, it was Pavillon and Fishman at the helm. So, what happened? In Fishman's book, he details his own efforts to find out why Cole ultimately pulled out of the race. According to Ben Kerner, the man who originally brought pro basketball to Milwaukee with the Hawks, Cole was simply too demanding of the league. Quote, he wanted a higher draft selection in the first college draft than the league wanted to offer, and he wanted a better position in the expansion draft, end quote. Cole's eventual ownership of the books is often remembered for sustained mediocrity. But he was shooting for the stars from the start. Cole missing out on the books the first time around was just the first instance of heart ruling overhead for the man who was Milwaukee to his core. 
Truthfully, no one figure is more closely tied to the story of the Milwaukee Bucks and their entire 56 years of the NBA to date as Herb Cole is. Cole is the Bucks' Zelig, their Forrest Gump. After initially missing out on the franchise in 1968, it was in March of 1985 when Cole stepped up to the plate. Cole assumed ownership of the Bucks not long after they were put up for sale by Jim Fitzgerald. And he did so by quashing any prospect of out-of-town interest and the relocation that would come with it. It was in 2014 when Cole gracefully sold the Bucks after 30 years of ownership to New York businessmen Wes Edens and Mark Lazary. Cole could have sold the franchise for more money as the likes of Steve Ballmer loomed, but he made a different choice. The one prerequisite in the terms of any deal Cole would make? That the Bucks would remain Milwaukee's team. Of course, Cole's influence stretched far beyond the Bucks and the NBA. The Milwaukee native's 24-year career as a U.S. Senator will always be his greatest act of public service. Cole's time heading up his family-owned grocery and department store empire allowed him to manage and amass great fortunes as one of the most influential businessmen in the U.S., all the more impressive as a first-generation immigrant from Russia. Those who remember the threat of the Bucks leaving town in the final days of the Bradley Center era will always appreciate Cole's efforts to ensure the franchise's future. But those who remember the wider history of professional sports' exodus from Milwaukee will harbor even deeper gratitude for his efforts. Of course, Cole was one of those people himself. It's arguably the skeleton key to unlocking the many facets of Herb Cole, the owner. First, you got to understand Herb Cole, the fan. Herb Cole, the fan who saw the Hawks leave Milwaukee for St. Louis. Herb Cole, the fan who saw the Braves leave Milwaukee for Atlanta. For those in Milwaukee who loved basketball like Cole did, the Hawks becoming world champions in another city so soon after leaving was akin to a dagger in the heart. When the Bucks came into existence, the foresight of knowing the greatest college prospect of all time was coming down the tracks was a carrot dangling for Fishman and Pavilion. The start was tough, but the glory days would follow in rapid time. But Cole was chasing a glory that had escaped him and his city. He was a fan, and that fueled his desperation to demand more from the NBA, to want to win now. The heart beat out the head. As the years went on, and Cole became the proud owner of the Bucks, in many ways a similar vision persisted. The eight-seed or bust mentality has gone down in infamy, but Cole could never bear the thought of losing on a given night are now having the lottery ticket of a playoff place. The cruel irony is that approach gave way to even more losing during a barren run for the franchise. But Cole's heart ruled on all matters books. Even if a more cynical case was to be made for the decisions that marked Cole's tenure as books owner, spinning an annual desire to make the playoffs at all costs as a pursuit of greed would be misguided. If the prospect of playoff revenue mattered more to Cole than many other owners, it's also tough to separate that from what Cole had seen over his years as a fan of Milwaukee. The fact of the matter is that professional sports Milwaukee can be conditional. Cole recognized that. That undoubtedly left him scared of dwindling attendances and a loss of relevance. 
It's also why he stood up for Milwaukee and finally became owner in a great time of need. The deindustrialization of the city during the 1980s created an identity crisis. What made Milwaukee famous was forever changed. And the books could have left town like so many others did before and after that time. The ultimate irony is that the book savior also recognized that he would have to hand over his prize asset when the team needed to be saved again nearly a decade ago. Not only did Cole safeguard the books with his choice of buyer, but he again showed his commitment in donating his own money towards the construction of Pfizer form. Cole's actions and commitment to making Milwaukee a first-class city will always be remembered more than how the books performed under his ownership. The books ultimately existed before Cole was their owner, but he was most committed to ensuring they continue long after he was gone. At the three most pivotal inflection points in the Bucks' history to date, Cole was a key character. Twice, his decisions saved the franchise of Milwaukee. And if we're being honest, the NBA not giving in to Cole's original demands and him stepping aside to allow Fishman and Pavilon to found the franchise was a blessing in disguise too. Cole's fandom of the Bucks was in many ways a curse to the team's on-court prospects throughout his ownership. He only ever had the best intentions, but every Bucks fan will understand that passion for the team does not always equal the most clear-eyed and detached view of what the team needs. If Cole had been a clear-eyed and detached businessman, descended from a coastal metropolis with no attachment to basketball in Milwaukee, the reality is the team would no longer exist in the city. Is it logical for Milwaukee to be an NBA powerhouse? The fact that's plausible in the present is a testament to having an owner who remained committed when it seemed an impossible dream. The Bucks stole Herb Cole's heart long ago, and given what he had to work with for much of that time, that may be the ultimate proof that love is blind. Now that he's gone, his legacy is no longer abstract. He would no longer cheer on the Bucks from his seat, wearing a discolored cap that tells the story of years of toil. But Herb Cole Way remains as a fitting tribute outside Pfizer Forum to honor the franchise's greatest fan. Milwaukee can still go one step further to honor one of its greatest sons, though. They can do just as Herbie Cole would have done. That is, to love his city and his team with all of his heart. After all, it's one of the Bucks' greatest fortunes that his heart proved to be so exceptionally big. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, Jordan. So the good listeners have listened to us, you know, perform in a much more formal way. Um, some elements of the story of Herb Cole. I say some elements because it really is so sprawling and it really is so dense. And there are so many individual moments that could be unpacked for hours and hours and days and weeks and months on end. But let's start at the beginning, I guess, of this episode, which is the beginning of this episode. And its genesis comes about when we hear Herb Coles passed away. So I'm going to ask you what your reaction to that was, even though I, I kind of was at least in like group chat form witness to you learning the news. <laughs> but what was your reaction when you heard that the Herb Cole had died? Um, obviously sad. It's a sad uh, time. Um, and not from just the sports perspective. It's very, I mean, we, this is a Milwaukee Bucks podcast. We are one of, Two Milwaukee Bucks podcasts on these this feed of a larger picture of the Eurostep podcast network of a larger picture of who we are. So like we have made our our you know bread bread and butter is sports and Milwaukee sports in general or Wisconsin sports I should say, but Milwaukee is, is very much at the center of it, and it's just hard to you mentioned like reckon with Herb Cole, which could be easily construed with. Uh, a more dire or dangerous kind of way, but there he is just such a very prevalent figure in you know just everyday life of my life of Milwaukee, like going to a coal store. There's a coal store downtown. I pass it every day, going to work, and I'm like, oh, you like just seeing the name. You just see the name. You watch a Badgers um, basketball game. It's called the Cole Center. You watch a, or a, I'm floundering over my words, but if, again, obviously the Bucks playing too. You see the things <laughs> honoring Herb Cole. You pass Herb Cole way going into Pfizer Forum. There are just so many different things that he his that name that you know he was the biggest beneficiary of of you know or most public of them. It's so intertwined in this everyday life. If you live in Milwaukee, if you live in Wisconsin, and obviously beyond, because you know, it just he had a 
incredible impact beyond that. But from a very Bucks perspective, you know, we were talking about this on our 400th episode, and Herb Cole was one of the names that we debated inducting into our Ring of Honor. And my, I'm not going to say that I'm not going to try to retcon things of how, my thoughts and feelings. No, or no, anything. well, you don't have to retcon because you were proposing. And I was like, no way. He might get it next time. But that will even be tough in its own right. And obviously, I've, I've had to think about Herb Cole since and really work through yeah. because it's very clear, like the reasons why you could make that case. And in some ways, we've just, you know, made the other case. And this part of the conversation is balancing all of that out and kind of like, okay, well, in terms of the books, where does that meet in the middle? Where does, you know, his ownership in terms of maybe, maybe we need to develop shorthand for this. Like we could call his, uh, his ownership being his actual, you know, management of it as a basketball team in a day-to-day sense. And I think his stewardship maybe being a way of framing how he ensured the continued, I don't know, safe passage of the ship books um, and that it would always have a port to call home in Milwaukee. That's that's kind of, because there are two very separate elements. In some ways, Herb Cole is one of the greatest owners in all of sports history. If the mandate is entirely, this is a city that loves sports and loves basketball, there are many larger forces out there in the world who would like to take basketball at this level away from this city. You're tasked with keeping it there. You're tasked with ensuring this is, you know, not to not to play into, you know, Milwaukee itself, but a gathering place for basketball fans in Wisconsin to come together, Jordan, right? Yes. And in that regard, you cannot be more successful than Herb Coe. And kind of most interestingly in all of the different ways that he could have met that standard when that standard required him buying the team to save them he bought the team when the standard eventually required him selling the team to save them he sold the team in that regard he was a very selfless owner i do think the more i I kind of gave talk to it for this and we talked through some of it in the essay I think in a basketball sense, he was probably a very selfish owner in just he had no level of detachment. It's kind of it's an interesting thing always to think of in sports. And it got me thinking about it because this is. You hear like about absentee owners and fans will always kind of groan about an owner who they come to a few games a season. They're not seeing athletics. And then on the flip side of it. You can have an owner who is too invested, too involved day to day, and they don't let the people who should be doing their jobs do their jobs. And in part, that's because they care too much about it. It's their thing. And they want to, like, the one thing you can never accuse that kind of owner is not wanting to win, not wanting to be a success. They want it more than anything. But they're so emotionally invested that they don't have the distance to be required of, hey, maybe the way I can best help this team to win is by me being less involved and getting experts who could help us win and let them run the show. And I, I get it. That must be a very, very hard thing. If you love basketball and you decide, I'm going to own a basketball team. 
and then in the reality of that isn't like you know my starting power forward is going to be the reality of that is congratulations you know that you sit here and you watch all of the people you pay define the success of your team like <laughs> that's that's difficult and the more i thought about her call and in the writing i was trying to put together kind of that opening essay you've heard for it is I started to think of Herb Cole as an absolute crazed lunatic of a fan, which was quite a funny image for me because it couldn't be further removed from this, like, you know, stately old gentleman who'd sit up in the seats and the camera would cut to him and he'd give a wave. And, like, and that's that's also, that's entirely, for me, that's Herb Cole. And that's my contact with Herb Cole is not true. Oh, there's a Coles there. Or, oh, he was my state senator. It was entirely when I was watching books games, when they were playing other teams I was watching, when I started doing this, I was watching books games. It was always about the camera cutting to this man who was the owner of the books and him kind of waving. And in some ways he is like the perfect owner of a Milwaukee NBA team because it was so old school. And so kind of folksy and Midwestern without kind of playing into that in a way that's going to annoy people. But even in an era, and the NBA went through this change long ago, the day will come and yep. we will talk about other owners who felt, you know, it's passes by because it's these kind of people from these places with this kind of money. That's who can own teams now. And for Milwaukee's team, for one of the ultimate small market teams in the NBA and in all sports beyond that, to be owned by this man who you know, was born and bred in the city, who went to university within the state, who did all of his business dealings really in the state, once again, who became heir to one of the greatest symbols of kind of business and enterprise coming from the state. There are others, but if you're kind of like go on one hand and list off kind of iconic Milwaukee, Wisconsin brands that spread their wings... Especially like, modern day. Coles is up there to then become a state senator for the best part of a quarter of a century. Like, this, just again, this man, and it, like, he's 88 years old and he passed away. If you had told me the first time I set eyes on Herb Cole that he was 88 years old, I probably would have believed you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's in part just like this quality to this, oh, this old gentleman who sits there and, you know, storied in local business that became much bigger than local storied in local politics on a level that was speaking nationally you know it goes on and it goes on he kind of felt like the perfect owner for the books the reality is the NBA had already moved past that kind of owner but any other kind of owner would have wanted to move the book somewhere else (laughs) like that's I've already, I saw the tweets, we, we mentioned them in the audio essay, but I saw the tweets with Steve Ballmer. Well, Steve Ballmer was supposedly prepared to offer to buy the books, which far exceeded what Lazary and Edens ultimately bought the team for. But he wanted to buy the books to move them to Seattle. And that's like, everyone kind of, uh, there's a part of Ballmer that people forget that now, but like, Ballmer as, you know, one of the Microsoft guys very much that's his route and that's he's wanted an NBA franchise for a long time but 
before he happened to get one in one of the ultimate markets that anyone would be foolish to you know move a team out of, even if that team is the Clippers. He wanted to move a team to Seattle. The Bucks were like primed for that, ripe for the picking, if not for the kind of owner who was gonna, you know, dig their heels in. And Herb Cole had long been that guy. It's kind of like he was not the right owner for the Bucks all along, but he was also maybe the only owner who would have kept the Bucks in Milwaukee to get to a point where we're enjoying the success that we are in recent years. Which is like, it, it sounds very simple to say, but it is also a lot to wrap your head around because we can talk about, you know, the, the way he empowered George Carl and then the way he fell out with George Carl. For example, we can talk about trades that were made in pursuit of, you know, maybe we could just be the eight seed and the Bucks finish 11th in the East and, you know, someone that he's just traded for leaves immediately as a free agent. I mean, literally that applies for like five guys over the years. We could do all of that, and we will and we should, but also part of the story is he is pretty much the only person at that time. Because I also there's another part of it that, I, I'll be honest, I haven't, and maybe you've come across more, but it's not necessarily something we've dug into. I don't know how David Stern felt about Milwaukee. I don't know how David Stern felt about Milwaukee as an NBA destination. Jordan, I could definitely take a good guess as to how David Stern might have felt about Milwaukee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Have you have you come across anything kind of concrete on that? I mean, Stern, do you think about Stern is Stern? He moved a lot more quietly than predecessors and um, those who followed as well. I think in terms of some things weren't necessarily as easily leaked. He ran a tighter ship. But I don't know. I mean, I can think of another another time when Herb Cole could have sold the books. And, That's, you know, so but someone else was on, interested. You're hitting on these... It, <laughs> That's what I kept thinking about over... I mean, it's almost been a week since he's passed. Is that Herb Cole is viewed as this, you know, uh, unassuming, he doesn't want the attention... He, he's doing it right by the franchise. It's not about Herb Cole owning the Bucks. It's about the Bucks being Milwaukee. That he said that repeatedly, and it, ultimately that is the kind of mantra that every ownership should have because these things are established things. Even if it's you know a, a new expansion team in whatever league, upstart league or whatever, you do right by your constituents. It's how we. <laughs> Eventually became a senator. <laughs> um, to me, though, is that yes, you have this very small man that I joked to the GSPN uh, group chat privately that we always, I always thought of him as perpetually this kind of old man figure because that's when I grew up and and you know, started to realize, oh, Herb Cole owns the Milwaukee Bucks. That's the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's this—he looks like Mister Potter, but he's from It's a Wonderful Life. But he's a, a much different figure than that, um, at least you know publicly. But you have these stories of, yeah, I'm not—I'm going to say no to Steve Ballmer. I'm saying no to tech money because what he ultimately wants to do is take away this prized thing from a city that has always 
love the Bucks, even if you know it has been conditional at times based on what they've seen on the court. He has said no to the greatest um <laughs> figure in that the NBA's history, Michael Jordan. Like to say no to that at a time when you know the the franchise itself was reeling from a trade that felt um like a bad move immediately, that being trade Ray Allen in two thousand three, and say no to that, and and you know the kind of sliding doors or butterfly effect of of that decision, and in, in, in so many different ways, not just trading Ray Allen, but saying no to Michael Jordan and the uncertainty that would have come with that, and then you like David Stern. I have tried to look this up, and maybe it will be revealed in time based on you know things happening. But David Stern's tenure as the NBA's commissioner is closely intertwined with Herb Cole owning the Milwaukee Bucks. And I could not have think or I cannot think of two different men and how they were how they are portrayed or viewed in the sense of Herb Cole is this gentlemanly, you know, he did things the way he wanted to do them. It wasn't that he was um, you know, meekish by any or meek by any means because he was he ultimately got to where he was because he had a vision in mind he just did things in a very you know stately manner that's just kind of how everybody viewed him david stern was a cold-blooded killer and there are good things that come with his ability to elevate the nba in a very global brand and he did so in the best of intentions. He did he ran things as a business. That doesn't necessarily mean that you run it in a very goodwill kind of way. Like there, there are a lot of stories that whether it's you know, Woj has shared or there are great books about how David Stern, like Herb Cole, he's always lurked in the beginning of the NBA or not the beginning of the NBA, but since the Bucks came into um, existence because he was a lawyer for the NBA and he negotiated things. He, he knew how owners operated. He knew how players operated and he kind of, you know, it was a treadmill of mediocrity, but he carved out this path through the middle to eventually get to where he was, where, you know, he's widely credited as this guy that, brought the NBA out of the dregs. He tape delay finals, you know, all that stuff. And, and the NBA is a much different sport immediately when he comes into power, even before he officially came into power. So that duality of those two figures, I think Stern kind of represents the growing of the NBA of, of, of elevating it towards the world views this as the most preeminent basketball league. This is where everybody wants to come from, whether it's someone from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or it's Luka Doncic from Slovenia, or Giannis Antetokounmpo from Greece. Like that's that is his forever legacy, even as we remember other things like that. Herb Cole's legacy is this man that always he's from, he owned the team from the city that he was born and died, and I think that's really interesting. And where you mentioned the NBA is long past this kind of owner. It was shocking to me, and I'm it's not to denigrate him, 
But Herb Simon, the owner of the Indiana Pacers, is one of the finalists for the Nate Smith Hall of Fame this year. And I was very kind of like, huh, that's interesting. I would not have thought. First of all, I, I I don't know how many owners are in the in the Hall of Fame to begin with, besides probably the bigger ones. But I was very just like, what did he do? What is like? I know what he, how he eventually came into power in the Pacers. I believe he bought the Pacers around the same time as Herb Cole bought the Bucks. But that he kind of represents that kind of, especially considering the small market nature of it. These kind of guys that built their fortune. And a, and a world that doesn't really exist anymore. We have evolved or devolved, wherever you want to <laughs> viewpoint you have, of where the NBA was and where the NBA is long distance itself. And I think, to me, to wrap up my long-winded point, these are the kind of things I thought about of Herb Cole existed in a moment of time that the Milwaukee needed him really, needed him badly to save this team multiple times. But it's also for me. It's kind. It, I don't know. I I wouldn't say I'm wistful, but you kind of recognize someone like that just doesn't really own NBA teams anymore. It's not. It's it's all kind of the same. Yeah, and and that's kind of in part a contradiction because I think what you just described as you know. An individual who was born and died in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and who sends out a sports team to the world bearing Milwaukee across their chest. That is not what David Stern's vision for global NBA was. That, you know, children on the streets of China will know where Milwaukee is. That wasn't it. I say this as, you know, someone who lives on the other side of the world, who wears clothing that probably bears Milwaukee across its chest. I don't know, about about 80% of the time. I am, right now, I can confirm wearing a t-shirt that says Milwaukee. I don't think I was David Stern's vision, nor am I Adam Silver's vision um, for how that would happen. But Milwaukee is one of these places, it's kind of like, you know, Milwaukee can bring itself to the world if only you let it, right? And maybe just kind of cold, calculated logic is like well why why would this be a place there's a team and in many ways the existence of the books and the fact that milwaukee is their only home they are one of the rarest of beasts in the nba there are so few franchises who started in one place remain in that place to this day and there is none i think as improbable as the books in milwaukee when you consider how teams have you know kind of Oh, flopped and changed locations over the years to still have the books in Milwaukee it just seems so unlikely and it was and that's something that you and I are incredibly grateful for and I think is one of like the NBA without a team in Milwaukee or without a team in Indiana for example like that's a much much less interesting league it's it's not really it's more homogenized. You know what it is? It's like a super league. It's like a super league and what yep. has tried to happen with international soccer and what kind of is happening in golf. Um, what happened to some extent in tennis. A lot of sports like that. I guess, you know, to some extent the argument is there. Well, that is what the NBA is. But the NBA is a super league by way of building an overall brand and promoting that. And within that, 
because I could speak to that. Like growing up, Detroit was not like, oh, this place in the Midwest to me on the other side of the world. This kind of like, uh, like this essentially, I'm um, apologies to anyone listening in Detroit because I don't mean this to sound in any way offensive, but like it wasn't this, this dead is, zone. Having the Pistons having a. They're having a tough enough time as it is. But it wasn't this dead (laughs) zone to me where I'm like, oh, the once great city of Detroit where, you know, really all the things that made it that are kind of dead and gone and have abandoned it. Whether you want to go with the Motor City, whether you want to go with Motown, you know, those elements of things that were so central to its identity. It's like by the time I became aware of Detroit, it was true to Pistons. And I didn't know about that other stuff. I'm like, the Detroit Pistons are good and I like their jerseys and they're cool. I play with them on like NBA Live and whatever years, probably 0304, around the time that they would yes. have won their championship. And to me, and there's still an element of this, it's not untrue because in a wider like historical context, Detroit is one of the major cities in the US, one of the defining industrial cities that forged modern America. But if you're to look at that in like a 2024 prison, particularly when the Pistons are as bad as they are, someone now be like, the hell does Detroit need a team? The reality is to someone who does not know America, to someone who is watching this as a global product, Detroit could be the epicenter of the world if their basketball team is good. And I always kind of think of that with the books being as good as they are and what that means for Milwaukee. It's like, you know, there are people in, I don't know, Scandinavia, Australia, in Asia, who watch the NBA and they watch the books and they're like, Milwaukee, that's a, that's a city, that's a place I want to go to. Not actually knowing anything about it. And trust me, they would go there and they would go, yeah, this is a place I want to go to. It's a lovely place. But I always kind of, that, that idea of, you know, your New Yorks, your Bostons, your LAs, Chicago, looking at you, Craig Council, of these being the only places, you know, with relevance or that matter in terms of we want to bring global eyes to this. And it's going to be, you know, it's got to be these cities that people know. It's like people will know all of the cities you put in the league if they earn people knowing them. If they play well, nothing becomes cooler than, you know, Detroit or Milwaukee across someone's chest. So yeah, that's that is kind of the old the old way, and I agree with you. You could be wistful for a world that allows the Bucks to persist to this time, that allows the Pistons to persist to this time, the Pacers. The flip side of it is also that Herb Cole was a bad owner and a in a yes. basketball on the basketball side of things. He was a really bad owner. He consistently made terrible decisions. He inherited. What I think would have had the case, what you could have made the case for as the most consistently successful NBA franchise from 1968 to 84, was that when he bought the team from Child? Five. 85. They only had one championship to show for that. They only had two finals appearances. Even the Celtics, the Lakers, you know, they're in a conversation with those franchises in terms of not having had down points like yeah. just the the level of consistency the level of excellence the books achieved to the point where herb cole bought the team was astonishing and really for the point he bought the team downward curve 
And it, it kind of, it, it happens because he could never get out in front of it in the way that his predecessors had. And that's not all on him. In some ways, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wanting to be traded was a blessing for setting up what happened next. Like we noticed from today's NBA, superstar leaving is a disaster unless you can get a good package that gets you restarted and can kind of kickstart something new, something that can also be good. But from there, it's kind of, it's down all the way and it's kind of steady and you've got this one brief spike. And again, there's a real strong case to be made for his interference or if we don't even want to put it as interference, where he allowed banks of power to establish within the organization immediately undid the one time where the books really came good under his ownership. I kind of stressed all this again, though. I like, I'm always the first person to point to that. I have been over the years. I won't pretend otherwise when we're doing a podcast, which is essentially a tribute to him after his passing. I am the person on our last episode who was like, no, not making in the books Hall of Fame first round for me, second round for me. Maybe, probably not. I think he's third round. Like, he belongs in there. But he is such an unusual case that has to be taken, like, on its own merit. If he was just, like, this kind of, I don't know, disinterested, benevolent donor, who all he did was save the team twice, honestly, he's probably, like, the first person in a books hall of fame, in a books ring of honor. You can't have names other than that. The fact is, he was really involved. And it often meant bad things for the basketball team. But that's because he he liked basketball. He was really engaged. And you know what? Billionaires, not always the best judges of, like, how to run a winning basketball team. It's kind of as simple as that. And there's part of that where I think... There's something even more endearing about Herb Cole for the he was kind of just as much a Milwaukee sports fan as anyone else. And he kind of ran the team in a somewhat like unhinged way in a basketball sense, just like any Bucks fan given the keys to the kingdom would. And you look at what those before him. I mean, not a rare thing about the Bucks, and it's in part down to Herb Cole's longevity as much as anything else. Not a lot of turnover in terms of owners. Very few owners in the history of this franchise. Yes. And you've got two guys partnered together at the start who are not from the state. You know, roots in the area and very much by the time Fishman had had built something there and certainly embraced it in his lifelong beyond the books. We get to the present day and we have an ever-changing group of owners, you know, X number of owners who are not from the state at all, and very much fitting a more modern view of how does, you know, ownership work in sports and money coming from various places and different industries and just grouped together. Both sides of that, they've got a championship show for it. It was special that Herb Cole got his moment and he was involved in the way he was. And we... We give the books a lot of a lot of crap for you know not honoring their history I don't know if I'd call that honoring their history but I'm glad they did it like part of that is probably just a genuine reflection of the good feeling the ownership group had towards a man who chose them could have sold it for more money to other people he chose them and he made a sizable donation towards getting the arena they need 
built to be built. Yep. Like that's so I don't think it's anything performative. I'm sure like Lazary Edens and those who come since all loved Herb Cole. What is not to love about what he did for them and how he enabled them to be the owners they became and to go on and win like they did? Is that for you? I've given you a bit of time, so I warned you ahead of time. I wanted to I wanted to reflect on our favorite Herb Cole moments. I, I had a clear one when I thought about this. I do have another I'll talk about as well. But what is your favorite Herb Cole moment? Um, I think I have also done the same. I had one in mind and now I'm switching. Um, part of it is it's a 1A and 1B. I'll leave you to probably answer the other one. But it is the fact I'm that... Gonna, I'm going to tip you off. I do not think that either of the ones I'm going to bring up are things that you think I'm going to bring up. Okay. So, just <laughs> um, to get ahead of that. I do think probably the best memory that I have of it um, would be his last season. And obviously, two of the best players to play for the Bucks. That was their first season together, Chris and Giannis. I would say the game of Bucks Knicks, one of the few wins that the Bucks had that year. It's Giannis's first start, I believe. I think Eric Game just actually wrote about this like not that long mm-hmm. ago. It was a big game in the sense I might be sorry, I might be confusing both of these games because I remember it was also Knicks game that this happened, but. It was a big thing that Giannis's parents, as we know, they could not come to the country due to this visa issues. And knowing what we know now with hindsight, with an excellent book, book written by Marin Fader, it's been a lot of oral histories, everything like that, of just how Giannis is very kind of despondent. And it, it, as much as we thought of him as this kind of novelty, like, oh, look at him, he's... He's playing NBA basketball and he doesn't really know what he's doing yet and all this stuff. He also was just very lonely and very just, he didn't have his home base. We all could, know that. Could Bailey, be said, I think one of a couple of times that I feel like he's mentioned where he, he was thinking, I'm prepared to just quit, just pack it yes. all in and give this up. Exactly. And eventually, as we know, they come to America, they come to Milwaukee. There's the iconic clip of Giannis showing his parents, like, oh, look at all the retired numbers, like, look at all these banners and everything like that. But eventually, when the game con- or game time happens, Herb Cole, if he's not sitting with them, he's at least given his seats to his family. And you see the, you know, a young Costas, Costas a young Alex Antetokounmpo. Uh, <laughs> you see all the family together. And I think that, to me kind of sums up her Cole as of what he was about. And it's syrupy. It's, it's the stuff of, you know, a Disney plus movie, but that is genuinely who he was. And it's the, <laughs> the irony of all of this is you mentioned there, there is just a duality of like, he was not a good owner. I could not imagine doing something for 30 years and you were maybe mildly successful in four of those years 
and wanting to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back and be like, yeah, I think I can do this. I think I can crack the code. And it just never happened. Or it, it never happened consistently enough to be like, I this is what I want to do. And, you know, that's where... That's where I kind of lie. And a part of it, it, it's it's one of those kind of coming or full circle moments because it is one of the last game or not last game, but one of the last few months of his ownership tenure. And, you know, I, I, I do think that is kind of just, we see that kind of moment and we see everything after that of just like how Giannis has viewed Milwaukee as his home from someone that, you know, Herb Cole viewed Milwaukee as his home as it was and just how that trickles on. Not that that was the inflection point for why Giannis has stayed with Milwaukee for a very long time, why they won a championship. No, that's not, that's not, no, it, but... it could have, it could have turned in a very bad way, very early. Yes. If I like that comes down to something as simple as like, and this is the kind of just like, I don't know this, like, uh, Again, we mentioned Zelik, we mentioned Forrest Gump in the audio essay. There's something <laughs> a, a little Citizen Kane-esque, you know, to yes. uh to the Herb Cole story because how does how does some of that get resolved? It gets resolved because he's a senator and he is a very, very experienced senior diplomat with, you know, very meaningful connections. Um I'll give I, that certainly does sum up one part of Herb called the owner of the books. I'll, I have two things that I'm going to point to that I do think also sum up Herb Cole books owner. Um, one of them, which is not my my overall pick, but I'll leave it at first because, in some ways, it was the prequel to the story that you've just told, and that is when the books drafted. Um, a man of mystery, you know, an international man of mystery, a prospect of some note, some legendary workout tape may or may not exist, you know. Is the Mandela effect at play here? I don't know. Some people have discussed it. I may have written an article about this over the years. Um, but like, who is Herb Cole books owner? What is Herb Cole books owner? I kind of still chuckle and it entertains me the idea of Herb Cole leading a delegation to Beijing where he brought with him the then governor of Wisconsin, Jim Doyle, David Stern, I believe the head of the China Basketball Association, to make a pitch to Yi Jinlin for why he should come and play in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. At a time where Yi's own team, they had a plan that I think was literally called, let me find it. I have it here somewhere. Um, it was like escape from Milwaukee. It was like the code name for their not very subtle plan. He did not want to come. Herb Cole spearheaded that high profile visit, used his political capital to bring the governor of Wisconsin with him on that trip. Um, and ultimately was at the front of another trip to Hong Kong with a delegation of books officials where he got Yi to agree to sign a multi-year deal in Hong Kong. Uh, we all know, or maybe I shouldn't say that because there might be some listeners who are young enough and fortunate enough not to know how things worked out with Yi. 
but it did not work out very well. Uh, it's safe to say he didn't love Milwaukee really all that much, or it didn't just necessarily all come together in a beautiful way. But that was Herb Cole's first taste of that, I feel like. Um, and certainly, like, you're the owner of the team, sure. So, yeah, make a few phone calls. There is a difference between that, though, and being an actual U.S. senator and saying, I'm getting on a plane with the governor of Wisconsin and we are going to Beijing to convince this basketball player to sign for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think it's a really kind of interesting snapshot of the the kind of the local meets the national, meets the international of Herb Cole and who he is and his power and how all of those interests often converged, at least for him. They were ultimately his interests. Um, another story, and this was the one, this is my favorite, favorite Herb Cole moment, doesn't necessarily involve Herb Cole, but it involves Coles, Jordan. And that is in 1987, when the McDonald's Open took mm. place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the Bradley Center. The McDonald's Open, for anyone who doesn't know, was at that time kind of an annual, sometimes biannual, you know, it was, it was different times in the world, event where an NBA team would go up against, we'll say a couple of teams from other parts of the world. And on this year, the Bucks were the hosts to Tracer Milano, as they were at the time, now better known as, I believe, Olympia Milano or for sponsorship reasons, Emporio Armani Exchange Milano, Jordan, no free ads. Um, and also the Soviet Union. The USSR brought their national basketball team, one of the best in the world at the time, to Milwaukee to play this weird, wonderful mini tournament in kind of the dying days of the Cold War, but while those tensions and certainly like a Cold War brand anti-Russian sentiment in the US was very strong. It led to many of my favorite stories and quotes that anyone ever attached to this team have ever given. Um, But beyond that, it's kind of interesting and you can see like the piece of how it comes together. We mentioned the audio essay. Cole, I believe it was his mother who was Russian. His father was Polish. So he's a first generation Russian immigrant. And the Soviet team comes over to do this and they get hosted in the most gracious ways. How a proper Midwestern welcome. And there's this famed day where they do all these photo opportunities where they go and they're provided with like an all you can eat situation at McDonald's. And then they're brought to Coles where they're all provided with teddy bears and red sweatshirts, which they pose with. And then when that's done, they go to West Point and they go and see Fatal Attraction. And there is something about all of that, which is so Herb Cole's Milwaukee books and the way the Herb Cole's books were like in a world of their own within the NBA landscape that they were that I find so one hilarious. But again, it's somewhat endearing and it has a charm to it where it's very much like this this old school, like he is a small town, small team sports owner, except he's not that. He's got incredible wealth. He's got incredible political influence. 
right around this. Yeah, I mean, he is a senator. He's, but he's, he's running for. He's running. He's for running. Senator. He's running. Yeah. So. I just, I, I think it's just this incredible moment. It's one of my favorite things in all of books history. I, we will do something deeper on it someday. I've written about it in the past. It's, I think it is the thing. And of all the couple of thousand articles I wrote about the books, many of them of like zero consequence. It is the one though, that every year someone stumbles across some way and I'll get a tweet and it'll be like, this is amazing. How do I not know about this? Or a tweet will go viral. A tread went viral. I feel probably like late summer last year about the McDonald's yes. open and about the books playing the Soviet union, but always that image of like the stars of Russian basketball, having just like filled up on McDonald's standing in coals and red sweatshirts, holding teddy bears. And then some like Russian minders being like, Yes, it's now it's now it's on to fatal attraction in West Point. It's... I won't be ignored, Herb. Fatal attraction, Jordan. Have you seen it? Quite I close, have. Michael Douglas. It's quite a film for the Soviet team. Teddy bears and fatal attraction. Quite that is very again, but that's like that is syrupy. Like, hey, we're we're break we're making inroads with a, a nation. Yeah, we have been at at odds with for a very long time let's let's bring our greatest exports to them mcdonald's coles teddy bears red sweatshirts fatal traction glide close michael douglas sure like that is so it's the it's the crash course in i uh, you could say it's a crash course in capitalism as much as anything which i mean oh, yes. separating that from um like the american culture of that time is very difficult but that's like Oh, you're coming from the oh. Soviet Union. Let <laughs> let us show you. But like, Herb Cole is like the American dream, right? He is a story of that brand of like American capitalism. He is literally he was a retail magnet. Like he he inherited his yep. family's business, which at the time was not insignificant. But you're still you're talking what is a comparably small number of grocery stores and department stores. He built it into something bigger with his own real estate interests. Like he, he becomes so much greater, becomes this political figure. He becomes the owner of a sports team in the city. He came to call home. Like that married with those McDonald's, Coles, Hollywood is just, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect for Cole being like the owner out of time, but also the perfect owner for a team in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes. 100%. Any final thoughts? Anything we've missed? I mean, we could get into the nitty gritty of some of the basketball decisions made in this time. I think be here for hours, but I, I honestly don't think we need to. Like everyone knows, I think a lot of our listeners, given the age profile, lived through at least some of that and um, suffered through some of that. You know, yeah. bags on their heads and all that is. That is an indelible image of the Herb Cole era. Yes. Yeah. I, I again, I think this is, I, it's thirty years that it that it's, and at the time when we were again we were recording our, or talking about our Ring of Honor, and to have such a mark of holding over the Bucks, whether that's a good thing or bad thing that you want to look at it, but he. <laughs> he is such a prevalent figure and it again as in our essay of just like it starts from 
ground zero. He attracts the attention of the ABA, of the NBA. They Herb Cole was not even nowhere near where he was at the at the peak of his powers, both financially, politi- politically, eventually into ownership. But he was still the name these... for Marvin Fishman to fear when he heard he was in the mix. Exactly, and Marvin Fishman was not someone that he was no small potatoes either. Um, but that to me is like he just will. You don't forget someone like that. It's 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 equivalent to Kareem. It's equivalent to these Giannis. It's equivalent to these names that have, you know, either worn Milwaukee in their jersey or have owned the team and have made sure to keep it in Milwaukee and everything like that. And I don't know. It, it's it's something that you know over time that will continue to kind of. Um, I guess reflect or just kind of you'll understand we'll understand the full breadth of everything that he's done and you know and for better and worse because you know you can't ex- subtract or <laughs> enhance or whatever it is it is what it is the the record stands for itself and you can look at all these things but for me it is interesting to read all these tributes and to read um the local side of it and the national side of it I, that was kind of the thing that kind of hardened me of just like we live in this bubble of what herb cold means in this state in this city does it you know penetrate outside of it and it did and that i think that to me is that's that's part of the legacy that at, at no matter where which way you stand on what he was to the bucks in the long run because as much as as he was an asset, he was a detriment. It means something that he did something for this team. And as has been pointed out for a very long time, he had no family. He had no sons. He had no daughters. He had, this was easily the thing that he could bequeath to the rest of us of what he viewed as Milwaukee and everything like that. So, I think for me, when you don't have that, when we see all these, read these stories of what it means to be an owner in professional sports in 2024 now, we read all these kind of toxic stories of the the James Dolans of the world, these people that are, you know, get born into money or see their family make money and they just want to make as much money as possible. They, They live this kind of, lavish garish kind of thing herb cole was he wanted to make money he wanted to do all these things he was also one of eight owners to i believe uh institute revenue sharing for the nba which is a big thing at the time not that we care about it but that's something that i read um in the uh espn's obituary of him that was very interesting to me but we read all these stories of, of the james dolan types that take it for well, evil. Dol- take it like, for granted. Dolan is a good example because Dolan could kind of, you know, in another way, Dolan could have been Herb Cole, but he's very much not. Uh, no. Instead of being like, I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna become a public servant and look to serve my 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 city, my state, my community. He started a band as a vanity project and toured the world. And instead of being like, I am. I am kicking the crap out of this franchise. You know, I, I am so bad at this that maybe a point has come where 
it needs to move on from me. I mean, that day will probably still come. It may not, yeah, because Dolan just views it. No, I want the Knicks. The Knicks are mine, and I want the Knicks. Like it's it's kind of the flip side. It's it without like diving into all of the politics of it. And I honestly, I I know he was a Democrat. I don't know Herb Cole's individual policies. So there could be things like, oh, that's great. There could be things like, oh, really? I don't know them. I'm not familiar with them. What I I do know when I saw, which honestly kind of blew my mind and maybe is even more mind-blowing just in like the current political landscape, not just like in Wisconsin, in the US, the entirety of the world was in the 2006 election that he won every county in the state. Uh, making him the only Democrat at the time to have done that since 1976. I'm sure that record still stands. I'm sure Herb Cohen 2006 was the last Democrat to win every county in the state. So he was undoubtedly a figure that I think broached and crossed over some divides in Wisconsin too that are not always easily crossed over. But I think in part of that, that's because, yeah, people could see that his mission in many ways was to put Milwaukee first, to put Wisconsin first. I mean, yep. he literally put his money where his mouth was. In fact, I, I don't really, I don't actually, you know what? This is something. If you were say to me now to describe Herb Cole's voice, I could not do it. That, that was the other thing. He's, that yeah. may be very different for you. Maybe it's not. Like, as a man in his various roles throughout his life, he's undoubtedly done a lot of public speaking. Part of this is certainly the age of the man in my time where I would have been more attuned to it. I I don't know what he sounds like. I've definitely heard him speak. I've seen clips, but I, not enough or in a memorable enough fashion where it's there. So when I say put his money where his mouth is, his mouth wasn't really anywhere and he just kept putting his money places to, to better Milwaukee, to better the books. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. We'll debate at a later date Herb Cole's uh, place in terms of the winning six books ring of honor. I'll I'll be ready to talk about it then too. And then maybe we've got some more nuance to add to it. Maybe we've talked about him in a different way. I hope people appreciate it. Um he's kind of a difficult person to talk about and not for the reason that you usually say that. In fact, it's the complete opposite because yes. all, all he ever wanted was to do the best for the books. And uh, I mean, honestly, as well-intentioned as anyone in sports, I, I really don't think you could, you could level anything else but that against them. And yet the team sucked for a lot of his time. Um, and yet they only exist to this day because of him they would not have survived they would have been moved elsewhere and yet Jordan if he'd been successful in owning the team from the jump they don't win that championship because he wanted he wanted the picks up front he wants to be too good to have a chance of getting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and as you and I have talked about many times before we will many times in the future if the Bucks didn't get it right from the beginning the books don't last probably. There's no team for Herb Cole to save. A year, you know, give or take either side of a decade is probably the most optimistic vision for what the books were. So really by not owning the team when he first wanted it, by selling the team 
when he ultimately did, he did the books great, great kindnesses and ultimately helped to win championships. Mm-hmm. What a story. What a weird, weird story from a pretty remarkable man. All right, Jordan, that does it for us for this episode. And we'll be back to y'all soon. And I, I got to, you know, I got to go out on a limb and say, we'll probably talk about books basketball because we haven't just had a chance to talk about like current books basketball. You and I in a while. I was on with Ty just before Christmas. Um, but let's hope next week we can we can talk all things current books basketball. To make sure you don't miss any of that, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Eurostep Podcast Network. That's the main feed here at GSPN. That is home to all things Milwaukee books. That's Jordan and I here with Win and Six, but it's also Ty Windish and Rowan Cuddy, the, the, the reason that probably most of you still listen to the feed with the Eurostep. More Eurostep coming soon, later in the week, I believe. We've also got Talking to Tundra for all things Green Bay Packers. Jordan. Is this to be a week of celebration or a week of mourning? What what will be decided against the Chicago Bears? I don't know. I hope it's a celebration, but I'm also scared. God, it would be bad to lose to the Bears and miss the playoffs. It would be, be awful. They've already it, it was, have they got the number one pick locked in? Did I see that? They do, and it's not even their own pick. That's because it's, ah. it's owned to the Carolina Panthers. Well, that makes sense. Sorry, Andrew. Or transferred over. Yeah. Um, Tepper's yeah. gonna throw a, a drink at us now. For more, not on. Well, probably on Tepper as well. I mean, you you won't be able to resist yourself. But for more on the Green Bay Packers and quite literally a season-defining week, subscribe, tune in to Talk of the Tundra with Jordan and Numak. Do you know when? preview of that game is preview would be available Friday morning Friday morning and then post game reaction win lose go check out the feed and you will find it god it will be bad if they lose <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I know how you get with that but I'm also I'm particularly worried for our friend Numak if they lose oh he's already yeah he's already panicking He's already panicking before the Vikings game. He wanted to lose to the Vikings to avoid the scenario. And I said, that's a coward's way of looking at it. It is. And, you know, it says a lot about his relationship with the state of Minnesota, but I'll take that up with a ball fair. Where there is no panic right now, yet, honestly, there is a little bit of panic. You know, people are like, go get a first baseman. What are you doing? Um, the Milwaukee Brewers. Before we know it, calendar year is turned over. We'll be in season. Who knows what they have in store for us between now and then in terms of trades, in terms of signings. We'll have it all covered on Cruising for Bruising. Andrew and I will resume, um, I would say, probably in a couple of days' time from when you're hearing this. Assuming you're listening on the day it comes out. And we will pick up with our grades from last season. Uh, Outfield, I believe, is up next. So we'll grade the Bruise Outfield, talk about any other news that May come up. Honestly, hasn't been a lot lately. Extended holiday time off, it seems like, in the world of the Brewers, Jordan. Last but not least, we got make time for this for all things movies, pop culture, 
talking of extended holiday time off, you know, a couple of weeks since Andrew and I have uh, done our last episode. We promised a May December pod and a Todd Haynes conversation, and I do believe that will still happen. So I would look out for that later in the week. And I don't know, coming up, uh, Ferrari and Michael Mann's movies. Andrew oh. hasn't even seen it yet, but I'm saying it so that he has to prioritize that. Um, I'm sure it'll be a Yorgos Lanthimos pod around poor things. Uh, maybe a Sofia Coppola, Priscilla. Like, there's lots of good stuff. We'll have, we'll have big episodes coming up on that. So you're into movies. Make time for this. Go subscribe. I'll have you covered. That does it. Until next time. Thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.